Uh, joining us right now on the BetQL guest line is Arif Hassan. Covers the NFL for Pro Football Network. And um, had an article this week that really got my attention talking about what the commanders might look like with Eric Bieniemy at the helm. Arif, what's up, man? Thanks for making some time for us. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Um, Appreciate let's dig. Let's dig into the article you wrote. I um, I thought it was really interesting and kind of to me, like if there is a consensus, it's that Andy Reid and his disciples, for lack of a better word, run so much different stuff that it's kind of hard to pin down exactly what they're going to do. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the appeal of an Andy Reid offense is that it's difficult to predict when you're a defense, but it does make it difficult for you know us to try and figure out kind of what an offense is going to look like when one of those Andy Reid disciples has or a team we cover. So, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty common theme across all of those uh, you know protégés, if we want to use another word. I think when a lot of people look at it, they just try to act as if Andy just does everything. But you look at all of the movement that they have in the offense, you got to have every – I played for Andy for three years, and I think when I watched him, every coach has something to do to make sure everything works together. They just seem to do it so well that people think that one mind can do it all by himself. Yeah, I think people conflate the idea that somebody is a play caller or has veto on play calling uh, as him being the guy. But Andy Reid has always been really quick to credit all of his assistants. I've been able to talk to some people inside of Kansas City to see kind of who has what responsibilities. And while they've all been pretty tight-lipped about the specifics, I know that every coach in the offensive staff is given situations or sections of the game plan to evaluate, analyze, and implement new plays or implement their game plan. Uh, and and then they come together to coordinate all of that together. It's a very involved process from all members of the offensive staff. And I know for a fact that Eric Bieniemy and Matt Nagy, both of them, are really heavily involved when it comes to play design, game planning, figuring out kind of what needs to go where. So, yeah, Andy reads the play caller, but there is a lot of credit to share within that offensive staff. So what do you say to – Kind of the detractors of Biennemi that are like, listen, man, sure, he's the offensive coordinator in title, but you've got Andy Reid, you've got Patrick Mahomes. How much does Biennemi really do? I mean, just take a look at Andy Reid himself. He was not a play caller when he became a head coach in Philadelphia. That worked out pretty well for him. Uh, and a lot of Andy Reid non-play callers have had varying degrees of success around the NFL. Right now we can point to Doug Peterson, who won a Super Bowl. He was not a play caller uh, under Andy Reid. But, you know, we've seen, you know, Brad Childress rise and fall. You know, he wasn't a play caller under Andy Reid. Uh, we've seen some good years from Matt Nagy in Chicago. Um, I, I think it's a little bit much especially you take a look at you know one of the coach of the year candidates Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota he wasn't a play caller for Sean McVay I think people focus too much on that that's one of the least important elements of being an offensive coordinator or a head coach is the actual calling of the plays I mean you're just picking off of a menu the person who designed the menu is in a lot of control yeah I think uh, you know what uh, when I you got Patrick Mahomes and I, and I say this a lot about every year we go coach of the year we look for the guy that had a bad team. And people automatically assume that a, a good coach can't be doing much when you have a, a ex, uh, like a, a quarterback like a Pat Mahomes. But Pat Mahomes has a lot of ego and emotions too, and you got to keep that in check. And he gives credit to Eric Bieniemy, and I don't understand why people can't understand that just because you're a great player don't mean you don't need any help. 
Yeah, I think what was really interesting right after the Super Bowl, talking to both Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, they both brought up Eric the Enemy unprompted. No one asked them about Eric the Enemy. They both brought up Eric as someone who's critical and crucial to the success that they had that year and throughout their tenure in Kansas City. They both recognize that the enemy is somebody that's been very involved in designing that offense, has been very involved in the development of that offense over time, uh, and has contributed a lot. And I think that, you know, the ability to maximize great players says a lot about a good coach in the same way that being able to get the most out of a bad roster says a lot about a great coach. I think those are very related skill sets, and I think that you take a look at you know, what the Chiefs have been able to do over the past couple of years, they've organized some of the best offenses of all time. And it's really difficult for me to think that that's entirely on a great quarterback. We've seen really good quarterbacks in really bad systems, and those systems have needed to change. Just take a look at the first time Peyton Manning was in Denver. That needed to change. The first time Tom Brady was in Tampa Bay, that needed to change. It did change. They turned in some really good offenses, but it's a sign of good coaching that you can get that offense up and going right away with some great players. It really is. And, 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 God, you're just speaking my language so much. <laughs> I enjoyed the read the other day, and that's why I wanted to get you on the show because people get so caught up in a system. There is no system. It's figuring out what works best for your players. I mean, that's what Belichick has always preached for years. And, and Brian, I mean, Brian played for Andy for three years. And one of the things B always said is that, like, hey, man, when Donovan went down, we were still expected to produce. And, and that's your system, right? And tweaking things to that system. Uh, speaking with Arif Hassan from Pro Football Network, you can give him a follow on Twitter. Let me make sure I get this right. Um, it is Arif Hassan NFL at A R I F H A S A N NFL. Um, so, dude, I, I want to talk kind of specifically about the quarterback position in Washington, and th- maybe this is th- going too deep here because it's not the, uh, exactly a name brand, but it sure seems like Washington's going to roll into the season giving Sam Howell a legitimate shot to be their QB one. Um, curious, kind of. I know how deep you guys go on the draft stuff, what you thought of Howell coming out last year, and, and what you think a potential enemy howell marriage could look like this fall. Yeah, I mean, first, I think it's pretty bold of Washington to go with a fifth-round pick, regardless of what I thought of Sam Howell, regardless of what the draft community overall uh, thought of him. I think that it maybe says a lot about Sam Howell. I don't know. Maybe it says a lot about Washington, that they're willing to take that chance. But I did like Sam Howell coming out. I was really surprised that he dropped all the way to the fifth round. I thought I was lower on him than most, and I thought he was a third-round pick. But um, to me, there's a lot there that you can take advantage of that we've seen some of these other Andy Reid-style offenses around the league take advantage of. First, I mean, he's a really, really good athlete. He was, I think, third in the NFL when you take away uh, – third in, uh, in the FBS, sorry. When you take away those sacks that the NCAA counts as running plays, he was third in total rushing yards. He was third in yards per attempt among quarterbacks. Uh, he was second in broken tackles uh, as a runner. I mean, he is a remarkable athlete. And uh, North Carolina allowed him to feature that, and I think that an Eric the Enemy offense 
offense. Like a lot of Andy Reid offenses, you can go back to Michael Vick and Donovan McNabb, or you can go to Mike Kafka with Daniel Jones. They featured that kind of athleticism as an asset that they want to use. So I think we'll see a lot of that. Howell, of course, played in an RPO-style system with Larry Fedora at North Carolina. That system makes reads a little bit easier, and so it's kind of difficult to get a good read on what that quarterback can do with a full field. But I think they'll implement a lot of those RPOs maybe include classic read options to make Sam Howell's athleticism be something. If they can fix his release, which is kind of looping kind of long, I think they also want to implement a timing-oriented offense that's going to take advantage of what players like Terry McLaurin can do after the catch. I mean, he's really comfortable just taking the ball right off the snap and throwing it right away, one, two-step drop. And I think that that's something that they want to maximize inside the Washington offense. Uh, Patrick Mahone got some freak accidents. I don't think his uh, mobility and running style is what got him hurt. Uh, do you think that it's a possibility that I, I know JP and I were both wondering about Sam Howe. At first, he used to just tuck the ball and run. And just, just to make it to where he, he runs when he needs to and, and know how to protect himself, because Pat protects himself, this is the accidents he's had been freak. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a really, really good point. And I think you take a look at running quarterbacks around the league. I think famously we know that Lamar Jackson, for example, hurt himself a lot. But um, they actually get hurt at a rate less than uh, pocket passers. And I think it's because even though they take some hits downfield, a lot of those hits sometimes are safeties instead of defensive linemen. And they can get out of the way of some of these edge rushers. But regardless of that fact, they still need to find ways to protect themselves. And I think this is probably a better way to think about systems and philosophies than the style of offense someone runs. The way that you teach someone really critical skills, like how to protect your receivers with your passes, how to protect yourself when you're running. And I think that's going to be one of the priorities for an offensive coordinator coming in to seeing a quarterback who knows that he can, you know, make a lot of moves, make waves with the running game but also knows that it's more efficient to pass the ball when you've got that opportunity, also knows that a, the best quarterback you have is the one that's available, and knows that you know getting out of bounds, sometimes that's going to be more important than running through a tackler. And so I think a lot of teaching has to be involved with Howell, both in terms of protecting himself, he was kind of reckless at North Carolina, um, but also you know making sure uh, that you know the release is fixed, making sure that you can read the full field. A lot of it is about teaching systems, less about tactics. So, Arif, let's let's talk about this, man. There are people that wonder if Washington really is going to go at this thing with Howell. And if you look at their roster right now, they, they got to release Wentz. I can't imagine there's a scenario where they are talking to the enemy and he's like, "No, nah, I actually want you to keep Carson. Let's make a run at this." Right? Like none of us none of us believe that scenario. So you release Wentz. That's twenty six mil for your cap. What? Let's. We can, we can go down two kind of paths here where we assume that it's going to be Howell. What would you do for Washington this offseason? And maybe the Howell stuff is smoke. Would you make a run at Derek Carr or, or something else? Uh, man, I think I think saving that $26 million by, by letting go of Carson Wentz, I think a lot of it would be kind of – I'm not going to say wasted because I do think Derek Carr is a talented quarterback, but you're missing an opportunity uh, if you do decide to do that. Um, maybe Howell isn't the answer, and maybe that is actually the, the most appropriate solution. I think that you do want to take some shots at quarterback, just generally speaking. Um, 
Patrick Mahomes is drafted when you had a franchise quarterback. Jalen Hurst is drafted with Carson Wentz on the roster. Um, Brock Purdy was drafted with two franchise quarterbacks on the roster. I think that you do want to take a shot at quarterback, not to replace Sam Howell, but to always have some you know, arrows in your quiver. So I think that that's kind sure. of one priority, whether that happens in the third, fourth, fifth round. But I do think that if they do decide that Howell is a solution, I don't think that – going all in is necessarily the best option. I think that they should have some answers available. And I think, you know, whether or not that means making sure you've got Taylor Heineke on the roster for a couple of years just to have someone available or developing a quarterback, I don't know. But it is really difficult to kind of read that situation just because, you know, a fifth-round quarterback with very few snaps in the regular season, it's just – tough to think that a team is really comfortable with that of course they weren't even comfortable with taylor heineke even after the the playoff push so i think there's going to be some hedging here but i don't think that they should go after a huge investment like a Derek carr what do you think happens with deron Payne? man that that is that is really tough i mean i mean he's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of teams that want him right yeah yeah, I mean, he's a really, really high-quality player. You take a look at how Washington won games, how, how they were good. A lot of it was with how good that defensive line was and, you know, getting Chase Young back healthy, you know, along with it. That's just so tempting. Um, but you do know that you need a lot of assets in order to, you know, be successful. We, we've seen teams, you know, flip really good players in order to get multiple picks. Um that's not necessarily what happens here, but I think that you'd get a third-round compensatory pick you know, a year down the line. I think you know, if you release Carson Wentz, I think that you have the ability to sign Deron Payne long-term. And I, I, just, I would really want to keep that core together just because of how successful that defensive line is. But um, don't you think, though, the offensive line needs to be revamped? And you bring in a new coordinator. If Eric Bieniemy signs here, you don't want to put so much in the defense and don't have an offensive line because – that's not uh, conducive for him to have success. No, I understand that. And I think that, you know, freeing up that cap space is going to allow you to do a little bit of both. I think that spending, uh, you know, your draft picks on that offensive line is going to allow you to do both. But it's just so tough to develop a player and see him walk, even though that happens all the time in the NFL. I don't think that signing Deron Payne. certainly happens in Washington. Yeah, it happens quite a bit. Um, But I I don't think that, you know, extending Deron Payne will make it impossible for you uh, to to secure, you know, kind of more offensive line talent. Um, There are a couple of investments that need to be made on the offensive line, not just one or two. So I understand that that's going to be difficult, but I don't think that you can do it all in free agency or all in the draft. So I think that, you know, one or two signings in free agency, one pick in the draft, and I think that you're probably in a much better spot. yeah, I, that, that is a really difficult kind of nut to crack, but I don't think that Deron Payne really prevents you um, from making sure that you can you can at least build a better offensive line. Um, let's just get your gut. It's twelve twenty on the East Coast. You think the enemy thing gets done in Washington? Yeah, I think so. Um, it really does feel like um, the way that this has been reported, the way that um, Kansas City has been talking about it, that uh, he's he's going to be the offensive coordinator of Washington unless something goes sideways. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling, too. Right. And then you could be quick on this one. I find this the most fascinating offseason story in the NFL. The Bears hold the number one pick, and they also have Justin Fields. How do you think that shakes out? 
Um, I think the Bears would be wise to to get another year of Justin Fields under their belt. I think it'd be smart for them to trade down, you know, two or three spots to a team that needs a quarterback and, you know, still maybe grab a Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, but they could use both of them. But if they use that number one overall pick on the top quarterback in the draft, I wouldn't blame them. I think that that, you know, you, you want to have buy-in with your coaching staff and your quarterback, and if they don't believe in Justin Fields, they should flip him to a team that does believe in him, both for your benefit and for Fields' benefit. Um, but I personally, I think that they're going to stay with Justin Fields, and I think that the best option for them in that scenario is to trade down to three or four, uh, maybe five, well, probably not five, but uh, three or four in order to get uh, a bunch of extra picks and, you know, the top defender in the draft, I think that that would be the smartest thing that they could do. But I don't think anything they would do would surprise me. All right, so you're on Team B, Mitch. <laughs> Keep fields. I am on Team Bryce Young. Maybe I'm crazy. Who knows? Hey, uh, Arv, I, I really enjoyed this. Appreciate you, man. Have to get you back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, man. Okay. Arif Hassan, give him a follow at Arif Hassan NFL. The hits don't stop. When we return on the B. Mitch and Finley program on a Scotty's Vodka Red Bull Friday, the big man, Mitch Tischler, is down here in Raleigh. I wonder if his view is as nice as mine. Uh, we're going to talk to him football, but I also want to see. I think he was out at the arena last night for the see what the ice looks like. Don't go anywhere. Mitch Tischler's next.